it's a blessing to, to be able to speak and to share with you, like uh, some of you who were here uh, yesterday, if you were here yesterday, we, we shared, we've actually, we haven't even gone home. We were in Uganda for the last week teaching, so we came straight here to Beaverton from Africa. So if I say something, or I have my numbers off, uh, which is very likely to happen, yeah, please forgive me, and we'll pray that God will intervene in spite of my weakness. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer here, and then ask the Lord to bless our time in the word. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your salvation, uh, for your son. Thank you that you came, you left the comforts of heaven, you came to redeem us who we have nothing to add to you. There's nothing you received from us. You completely gave of yourself. And as we think of missions, as we think of making a joyful noise to you, a joyful shout to you. You have given us every reason to shout. You've given us every reason to be joyful. May we remind ourselves of those reasons today. And may we be uh, driven once again to the power of the gospel and the joy that we experienced when we first came to you. And may we share that with those who are yet in your fold or yet to be your children. Lord, that's what missions is about. We know that's what this conference is about is reminding ourselves and once again renewing our trust in you and asking you what we can do to further what you started and continue to be your hands and feet here until you return. So I pray that you'd be with us tonight, um, and I pray that you would just give me your thoughts and your words and a clear, clear thinking as we share and try to open your message. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk uh, about the title of my message I put up there. I know it's a long title, but uh, the character of the gospel message. What I mean by the character of the gospel message is what is the, what is the essence? What is the, what is the spirit of it? Um, and it's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read that in a second. Um, but I want you to think about that. If we were saying, what is the character of your family? What is your family character or your family, this is who we're about. Um, We use those words sometimes. This is what it's all about, right? What do we mean by that? We mean that there is something about that family or about that team or or about that organization or about that that quality that, that... that it drives, it's guiding principles, it's values, those are kind of things. So as we think about the gospel, uh, that's what I think Christ, and through the Paul's pen, is telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read that in a little bit. But before we do that, I, want, I need to wake you guys up, because I don't know if you're still sleepy or not. I see some yawns out there. So, uh, you know, does this bring, you know, heartburn to you in any way? Do you know what this is here? So I want everybody to stand up, uh, and if you're not a Michigan fan, you can sit down right away, I guess, because stay standing if, uh, some, if you, any Ohio State fans in here? Okay, so you can stay, okay, sorry, I'm not trying to split the church here, I'm just trying to, uh, you can stay seated then. Uh, so stay standing, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, stay standing if, uh-oh, uh-oh, there we go. You would give up 
for a Michigan victory. If you could guarantee a Michigan victory, stay standing if you would give up a dessert to guarantee that they would beat Ohio State. Okay, anybody? Okay, we can see the fair weather Michigan fans are like, dessert is more important than whatever that is. Okay, okay, good. All right. So, okay, we, we're, we're trying to see. This is a, what would, would you give up, would you give up a, I'm, maybe I'm not hitting this button right. Do I need to point it at something? A meal. Anybody say, you know what, I like Michigan and all, but my meals are important. Okay, good. How about uh, stay standing if you would give up for, for, to beat Ohio State? Am I, am I pointing this in the wrong? One day of meals. Or $100. Would you pay $100 to beat Ohio State? Okay, now, I'm starting to see the problem here. I'm starting to see the problem. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I think there's a limit here. We're going to reach it real quick. Um, would you give up $10,000 to beat Ohio State? <laughs> wow. Wow. There's some, there's some deep-rooted... Uh, I think we have some counseling issues here, Pastor. Okay, I, I, I'm trying to think. Okay, we'll, we'll keep going here. Your car. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm, would you give up your car... To beat Ohio State. Wow. This, you get the award right here. You get your award. You, you really hate. <laughs> okay, so you did. <laughs> and three cars. Okay, well, I, I, I think I can up it. W- you, would you give up your citizenship for that? I don't think so, right? It's like, okay, there's a limit. I must be. Is it a delay, maybe? Am I supposed to point it here? It's probably user error. Okay, so see, pass. Quick click on the end. Okay. So this is kind of an extreme example. Would you give up your citizenship? Yes, I'll give up my citizenship just for a game. We're like, no one would do that. No, that's not that important, right, that we would give up for something, right? And the point I'm trying to make here is what, what would you... We value things, and would you give something up in order to gain something else? And in this case, a win over the the uh, the school from down south. We won't even name them, right? Right? Would you give up that? Well, Paul in this chapter talks about this idea of giving up in order to gain something, and so I want us to think about the gospel, and I want to think about what um, that's the theme of. That is the character of the gospel. That is what the gospel is, is giving up what you don't have to, to gain a win or to, to redeem lost souls, right? Is that not the character of the gospel? Is that not what God did for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? He didn't have to die. He didn't deserve to die. But he did. And God sent his son He gave up his only beloved son worth way more than $1,000, way more than cars, way more than citizenship. He gave up his son to redeem lost souls, you and I. He he gave that up. That's the character of the gospel. So I want us to think about that as we read this chapter. So I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, so bear with me. And um, I'm I'm reading out of the ESV, but uh, you follow along here. 
So Paul surrenders his rights. This is uh, chapter 9. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Verse 1. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, and you are the seal of my apostleship. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers and the Lord and Cephas or Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? He's talking about getting uh, payment for the gospel and being supported for sharing the gospel. He's saying, it's yes, certainly within my right to do that. But he's getting somewhere with this. He's saying, this is, this is logical that if you're preaching the gospel and you're sharing spiritual truths that are without, without, uh, without any, they're so valuable, should we not share in some support? You should be expected to be supported of that. He said, yes, it makes total sense. But we're getting, he's, he's building an argument here in a little bit. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? The priests, they, you get an offering and the priests are able to, they get their meat from the offerings. That's in God's plan. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by proclaiming the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid on me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will... I am still entrusted with this stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right of the gospel, or any use of, the go- of this right. So that's the whole introduction leading up to the passage which I'm about to read. And what he's laying the ground, he's saying, the Corinthians were kind of criticizing Paul and saying, ah, yeah, we know, you're, trying to, you're preaching the gospel, and, and some detractors have been said, Paul's there, he's just trying to get a love offering from you guys. I, I've seen this before. And there were plenty of people back in the day, as there are in this day, of people who are using the gospel ministry for their own advantage. And Paul is making a point and saying, I have not done what I could do because I would rather die than have anyone take away my reward. And you, say, you see the part where he says, I do this free of charge. I'm doing it because I could, and it'd be well within my rights to say, okay, I'm preaching the gospel. Uh, you guys need to support because that's the way Jesus planned. But he's saying, but I'm going above what I had to do or what is normal. 
It's kind of like the principle of the second mile, right? You know that? Where he says, if somebody compels you to go one mile, yeah, you have to do that. You don't get any reward. Everybody had, that was a law, a Roman law. But he says, you know what you really should do as a Christian? Is don't do what you have to do. Do something that you don't have to do. Because then you get a reward. To go a second mile. If you had to carry a Roman soldier's pack, we all have heard, no, this passage, right? For a mile, he's like, that's everybody. You're no different than anybody else. But then somebody says, hey, I'll carry it another mile. He's like, whoa, you don't have to do that. He says, yeah, there you have good reward. Same as the passage that talks about if you're afflicted for doing wrong and you bear it. He says, that's, there's no reward for that. If you actually did wrong and you say, yep, I deserve it. You know, like all these athletes that they take drugs or whatever. He says, I'm going to be a man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to own up to what I did. There's no, there's no glory in that. You did wrong and you got punished. So the, the fact that you take it, you deserve to be punished. That's not any glory. But, the, but if when you're doing right and you get punished and you take it well, then you have something to glory about. Then you have something to give God glory, right? Because you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to take that. That's, that's above and beyond. That's the character of the gospel. God did not have to come save you, but he did. Christ did not have to go to the cross, but he did, right? You understand the character of the gospel? So now Paul is laying all this foundation work, and now we're going to get to the passage that we're talking, talking about. And hopefully it'll make sense what he says from this verse, verse 19. This is our passage for today. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And he puts in a qualification uh, in parentheses here, though not being myself under the law. Saying, okay, I'm not saying that I had to follow the law. He's not saying that I, he's, not, he's making sure they understand. I'm not doing this because I think this is somehow going to gain me favor with God, like the Jews do. He says, but those under the law, I became as... One under the law. That I might win those outside. Um, sorry, I skipped the part there. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. What he's, and he gives another qualifier. Just to make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm lawless. Which is, that's, that's another, in scripture they talk about wickedness as being not under the law. Or lawless. He said, just be clear. I'm not saying that I acted as a pagan. But I, what he's saying is, I'm under the law of Christ, actually. I have a stricter law than, than that. But I, I, the things that I'm not talking, following the Jewish law, right? These are Gentiles. So to the Gentiles, it became like a Gentile, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of of the gospel or because of the character of the gospel not for the sake of the gospel what he means by what does he mean by the sake of the gospel it means the character of the gospel i do this because that is the gospel that is salvation is doing things giving up voluntarily what you didn't have to give up in order to win that is the character of god 
That is the character of the gospel. And that's why he says, this is the way that I preach the gospel. Is because that's the character of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. That's the blessing that comes. You don't do it by compulsion. That's what he said. If I did it because I had to, I wouldn't do any reward. He says, you know what I have to do? I have to preach. Because when I'm saved, when you're a Christian, you have to be a missionary. <laughs> you have to tell others. I, I'm compelled to do that. Otherwise, you're not really a Christian. According to the Bible. So I have to do that. So he says, you know what? If I really want to do more, I should do it for free. I should do it beyond what is expected of me. I have to preach the gospel. If I don't preach the gospel, woe is me. I'm answering to God. So he says, I'm not going to... I have to do that. But you know what I don't have to do? I don't have to refuse money. I could. I have every right to take an offering when I preach. I have every right to be supported by the churches. Says, but I have not taken any of it. You know why? Because I want to model the character of the gospel. I want to show you the gospel. And I won't let anyone detract from that. What a way to live your life, right? <laughs> what a challenge for me. Let's finish the chapter here. So our passage is just that little part, 19 to 23, but there's an interesting ending of the chapter here. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? We all know that, right? We, we all... So everybody runs, but there's only one that gets the prize. And how do you get to that point? So run that you may obtain it. Don't just run, well, I have to run this race. No, I need to do everything I can to win the race. And not that, this is not to say that we're competing against each other, by the way, <laughs> is that uh, only one of us is going to get the prize. What he means is that you are, when you're, there is a prize to win, you don't just automatically win it, right? And so what do you do? What does an athlete do? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it for something way more valuable, imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Wow, what a passage. I love this passage. So much packed in there. But let's think about it and think about the character of the gospel. Paul says, I became all things to all men. What he means by that is, I've got to get my clicker down. There we go. So here's our passage. And here's the, the statement. If I were to summarize that, how would you summarize that first little, that 19 to 23? This is how I did it. His complete freedom in Christ. Paul's, he was free from all. He said, because I've been saved, Christ came and freed me. I don't have to follow the, the Jewish law. I don't have to. He saved me to freedom. Great. But that allowed him to give up his freedoms and his comforts in order to win every group possible and win them to the freedom that he enjoyed. So he gave up his freedom to win Freedom for others. Anyone served in the military? Or? Okay, any? Anybody? Why did you join the military? Why did you, why were you willing to give up your freedoms, the things that you enjoy? Why did you do that? 
Now, you got paid, I hope, <laughs> right? But that's the idea. That is, that is the nature of the gospel. I could be sitting at home comfortable, but I'm out there serving my country and fighting for freedoms for others so they can sit at home and enjoy the freedoms, right? We give honor to those people. We give honor, and rightfully so, rightfully so to do that. Well, Christ, Christ had all of the comforts of heaven. He gave them all up. He didn't have to. We were undeserving. We were sinners. We deserved hell. We rejected him. We were enemies for him. But the nature of God and God's nature was such that he sent his son to die for us. What an amazing, amazing truth that we have. So um, I have up here a map. Has anyone been to Australia? We, we, um, our missionaries who aren't here, unfortunately, they're, they're planning on going to Australia. Anyone been to Australia? Okay, yes, yeah, Sandra. Sandra went, yes. So if you go to Australia and, and you ask them, where's up? Where's the top of the world? Guess what they say? <laughs> This is an Australian map. Okay, sorry. This, so, you, where, you see America? You recognize America? On there? This is how they learn it in school. They think we're all upside down, right? And they're like, what, what's wrong with you people? You know, this is the way it is. This is the way the world is, right? This is how we see it. South is up, north is down. Um, because they're in the southern hemisphere, right? And it makes sense, right? And as Americans, you know, who own the world, basically, you know, we come into Australia and we're like, no, 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 you guys have got it wrong. The world revolves around America, right? Obviously. And they, you know, so they, Australians don't like Americans, actually, um, typically, because we're annoying to them. Um, So this is an upside-down inversion, upside-down value. You're like, whoa, it kind of shocks you. Like, I don't that's not how I look at the United States, right? And we're like, wait a second, what happened? Where, where'd, where'd the East Coast go, um, right? And so, but this is, if you're Australian, this is how you would learn geography, right? And where everything was, because that's what you're thinking. So, inversion of values. So, whoa, whoa. so we are saved to freedom in Christ, so we, but we give up our rights to win others. This is an opposite of the way we naturally think. How do you naturally think? We naturally think, no, if I have a right, you better not take it from me, right? And actually, I'm going to fight for my rights. Not only am I not going to freely give it up, if you ha- even come close to stepping on my toes, I'm going to let you know about it, right? It's the American way. This is how we do it. This is what we got to stand up for your rights. You got to march and make sure that you have your rights, right? That's, that's how the world thinks outside of Christ. But what is the gospel? What is the character of the gospel? It's flipped upside down completely from the way we naturally think. It's an, like an upside down map. We look at it as like, I never thought of it that way. When we went to Australia and I saw a map of the world in Australia, I'm like, Ah, uh, yeah, that, make, that is how they would look at the world, right? They don't think they're on the bottom of the world. They think we're on the bottom of the world, right? And actually in space, you could argue who's, who's right, right? <laughs> um, so what is, there's lots of things in Scripture that have an inversion. What does the Bible say about losing your life? He that loses his life 
We'll find it. That's, wait, 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 what, what? That's, if you go to the typical person, unsaved person, you say, hey, you need to give up and lose your life. They're like, that's the last thing I can do. That's the only thing that I have. So you are not going to take my life. I will do, you know, that's the most precious thing you possibly have, right? How about he that saves his life? You try to save your life, this meaning build your treasures on this world, what are you going to do? You actually end up losing it, right? If you spend all your time fighting and for saving your life here, according to Scripture, what does Jesus say about the greatest of all? Okay, wait, wait, what? We fight so hard not to be treated like a servant. Actually, we scrap and we scrape to get to the point so that we can be the boss and we can have servants, right? And if you start out as a servant, you're like, oh, man, I'm behind. I've got to get my way up to the top. And we celebrate those people who came from nothing up to the top. And uh, this afternoon, I'm going to share a uh, story about uh, the guy that was a professor with me just last week. And he started with nothing. He started at the bottom. And from the world standpoint, he got to this point. And what, because of Christ, he gave it up and is going back. He has a doctorate degree from an American university. And he went back to Uganda. And people look at him like, what are you doing here? Anybody who has any opportunity to leave Africa and go to America. And he was offered not just a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken. He was offered like uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but anyway, you got to come back this afternoon, and I'll tell you about him. Okay, this is an inversion of the of the values that we have, and that is the character of the gospel. It's opposite of what we naturally think, and and that's what makes the power of the gospel. Because everyone's in the world, everyone's walking in this direction, and when the, the whole crowd is going this way, and we as Christians are actually going this way is like how do I become the servant of all everyone's like get out of my way I'm going to the top of the ladder and we're like let me serve everyone and we're swimming against the the stream this way right and they're like loser and they go this way everybody's going this way broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go that way but narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be there's few people who say hey I'm going to lose my life I'm going to be the servant of all hey yep that's me I'm going to give up all my rights. Hey, you want to trample on me? Great. This is wonderful. Nobody says that unless you understand the nature of the gospel and you have been changed by the nature of the gospel, right? So that's what Paul said. That's why Paul, now it makes a little more sense, right? He says, I am all things to all men. Let's study that real quick. Um, but we, we say this, um, for the win, right? Have you ever, uh, kids say that, for the win, you know, your last shot, for the win, you know, three point, for the win. Well, Paul uses this word, win, gain, several times. Look at it in the passage here. It says, for I, verse 19, for I, though, though I am free for all, I have made myself servant of all that I might win more of them. What does he mean, win? Is this a game you're playing? I might win more, I might gain more. He has in mind a spiritual perspective, not a physical perspective. Because in, when you give up and you say, you know what, Paul, we have an offering here that we collected this offering for you. And he says, no, 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 no. Do not even touch me with that, man, because I do not want anyone to accuse me of preaching because of money. So you give that to somebody else, but don't give it to me. Everyone in the world would say, what is your problem? 
you could use you could serve the Lord with that money. You could at least, you know, buy a Greek hamburger or something, right? You could you could do something. You could you could get better, you know, clothes or, or new shoes because you're doing all this traveling. And he says, No, I am not gonna let anyone accuse me of this. So he says, I have not made use of any of the rights that I had the right to do. It's like, what this what are you talking about, Paul? This is normal. It's what everybody does. You're supposed to. This is how you support yourself. He said, no, you're not going to put that on me because I understand the gospel. And I'm not going to, I want to live the character of the gospel, which is I don't take my rights. Yeah, I could do that. that nobody would question. But Paul says, I'm not going to do that because I want to win more. I could win some by doing that, but I want to win more. And I'm trusting God to give me the win not the, the money. I want God to know, and I want to be faithful to him, and I want, I'm doing it for him. He sees, he knows my heart, but, but I'm going to do that for him because I trust him. And that, nobody's going to question Paul now, right? You do that, and they're like, question's over. <laughs> Mic drop, right? When somebody walks away from money, and says, no, I'm trusting God. I know I, I, I actually could take that, and nobody would question. God says that you need to support the ministers of the gospel, right? But I'm doing it, I'm going above and beyond. I'm going second mile. I'm going beyond what I have to do. Why? Because the character of the gospel is that, to go above what you have to do. So if, do we live our lives, Christians? I ask myself this as I'm preparing this message. Do I live my life doing things that I have to do? Do I live by compulsion? Do I do, well, I have to go to church. I have to give 10% or I'm probably going to, my car's going to break down. You know, I need a tithe probably. I have to do that. Is that how we live as Christians? Because that's not the way Paul lived. And I'm convicted, to be honest with you. How much of the things that I do is I feel like, okay, you know, joyful, giver, yeah. Put a smile on my face. But is that really, or am I like Paul saying, man, what else can I give up? What else, what else do I deserve but I can give up for the gospel? Who thinks that way? Paul did. What a challenge. So let's look at this. A couple other things that came. And so turn over to 1 Peter 3.1. There's a couple passages in Scripture that give us a, another picture of this word win. It's actually the same word. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be... What's the next word? One. Without a word. By the conduct of the wife. This is exactly the idea. Why would a believing wife stay with an unbelieving husband? Why would she endure what she doesn't have to endure? Now, I'm not talking about abuse here. I'm not talking about in your physical danger. But I'm talking about no one would blame her for leaving. The world wouldn't even blame her for leaving. But she says, I'm going to do what I don't have to do in order that I might win my husband. Might be one. This exact same idea here that Paul is talking about. So, would anyone blame her for leaving? Nobody would blame her. It's within her rights. 
at least in that world, in that time, in the same things. But why do you do it? That I might win. For the win. Whose win? The gospel's win. For eternity. For spiritual things. So if you're only doing, if your spiritual life is only doing the assigned homework, (laughs) you're not going to win. You're not going to, you're just doing what you have to do. It's not the same as saying, wow, what else could I do for the Lord, right? Here's another passage of scripture that relates the same way. If I can figure out this button. There we go. Matthew 18. Flip over there. Matthew 18, 15. Same concept. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Don't spread it around. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't tell anybody else as a prayer request. (laughs) Hey, can you pray for my brother? He sinned against me. You know, it's like, oh. You poor thing. You poor thing. Right? He says, no, go to him alone. Don't tell anybody else. Go to him alone. If he listens to you, in other words, restores, what happens? You have won your brother. This is an opportunity to win or to gain. You have gained, same word, your brother. You have won your brother. What do we mean by that? In a spiritual sense, you have restored someone that could have been lost. Do you have to go to him? He's the one that sinned against you. He harmed you. You don't have any obligation from a world standpoint to go and try to make things right. You feel free to go and be bitter all the rest of your life. Or no one would blame you. And you could talk about it. Hey, they did this. They did me wrong. And everybody's going to be on your side. You have well within your rights to go sue them, to do whatever you need to do, because he wronged you, right? That's the way the world works. When you get wronged, what do you do? You make them pay at least as much and probably more, right? Damages, emotional damages that we got to make sure we get them back, right? I don't know if they have all the billboards around here or not, but you know, there's, there's every other billboard down south is uh, car accident, I'll help you get a million bucks from whoever happened to run into you, right? There's lawyers that saying, something somebody did wrong to you, injured at work, call this lawyer. We're going to make millions, Right? That's the way the world works. When you get injured, what do you do? You sue. This is your opportunity now. At somebody else's expense, you to gain. The gospel is flipped. At your expense, someone else gains. That's the gospel at your expense. Totally different. Upside down compared to the world, right? So are you taking your rights? Is that how you think? Is that how you look at life? Uh, Young... Siblings are, this is one of the greatest opportunities for you to show and practice the gospel is with your brothers and sisters in the house. Yes, she took your stuff. Yes, by every means, she is in the wrong. But it is an opportunity for you to show the character of the gospel, to forgive your sister and say, you know what? You used my water bottle because you didn't clean your water bottle. And so you took my water bottle to school. And so I didn't have my water bottle. I have been injured because of your taking my stuff. But so you know what I'm going to do? Mom! Is that what we do? Justice. I want my rights. Or do we have an opportunity as a young person to say, I'm going to go wash my sister's water bottle for her. That's a mic drop. 
Why did you do that? You don't have to do that. You actually, she deserves to wash your water bottle. Yeah, I know. But the character of the gospel is such that I put myself down for the betterment of someone else. And so it's good practice. It's great marriage practice if you ever want to be married. is to say, how do we do that? That is the character of the gospel, and that's what Paul is talking about. So let's examine that a little closer. That I might win the more. So in the Jewish, uh, the way that a lot of things in, in Hebrew writing is they would use this form where they kind of go, it's like an hourglass. It's like they go in in these, these parallel ideas. And so one, one uh, possible idea is that Paul is using this, this uh, technique. He says, though I'm free for all, kind of like uh, you guys had to write haikus, poetry and stuff. You know how it goes in and then they, they come in and then the parallel ideas come out. So this, this is one possible way. I don't know, if, you know, I'm not for sure is this the way. It says, though I'm free from all, I become the servant of all. That's a big idea, right? And then he kind of narrows it down. Free from all. I mean, that's, that means he's using big words here, all. Though I have become the servant of all. All is a, is, means a lot, right? It's like, whoa, all is all. And he's, he's saying everything, everybody. He says, there's nothing that God requires me to do because I'm saved. I don't have to do anything for my salvation, but I have made myself servant of all. So then he narrows it down a little bit. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now, wait a second. What was Paul? He was a Jew. So why didn't he say, to the Jews, I'm already a Jew? Right? That's what you'd think he'd say. He's like, you know, obviously I'm a Jew. But he said, to the Jews, and what he means by Jews nationally, because what was Paul's identity once he was saved? Was it first of all a Jew? No. He gave up, remember, all of those things that the Jews thought would be great. Tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, Pharisee of the Pharisees. Those are like, those are like badges on, to a Jew. And he says, I counted all that stuff as dung because you know what my identity now is? My identity is not a Jew. That's not the first thing I say. First thing I say is I'm a servant of God, the Paul, the servant of God. Servants, you don't care about their nationality. I don't even ask you what country you're from in those days. You have nothing if you're a slave. If you're a servant, they didn't ask you. You mean nothing. You, adapt, you came, whatever your master was, that's who you were. If they wore robes, you wore robes. Whatever the religion they were, that's your religion. You're a servant. You didn't have any identity. So Paul says to the Jews, now that I'm a Christian, I actually can go back to my own people and I understand them. I understand the way they think. And so I know how not to offend them so that the gospel will go clearly forward, right? Paul doesn't come up to them with and say, well, I know that I'm free. I can eat pork, so I'm going to eat a big pork chop right in front of the Jews, right? Saying, hey, guys, look at this. Shock value. Because I'm a Christian. You guys are wrong. I have the truth. He did have the truth. And he's free to eat pork. He could have. He didn't do that, though. He said, to the Jews, I didn't eat pork because to them it was offensive. So he says, I'm not going to do anything that will hinder the gospel. So while I'm with the Jews, even though I'm free to eat pork, even talk about eating pork, he probably didn't. He didn't say, you know, you don't have to do that. No, he says, I am more concerned about you than about the freedoms that I have, right? Then he says, to those under the law. So this is to do with those who 
not just nationally or racially, ethnically a Jew, those who put themselves under Mosaic law and says, I've got to follow all these commandments and all these things. He says, to those who are under the law, I became as one under the law. He didn't say, I also submitted to all the things that they thought. He, he, made, he was very clear to say, I'm doing it not because I think that's good. I'm doing it in order to win them to Christ. So it's very key understanding here and he puts those qualifiers in he says i'm under the law but be, to be clear i'm not saying that's correct but i'm doing it so that i could possibly win some of them so when i go to jerusalem and i'm hanging out with those people i dress in the way that would not offend them it's not wrong it's not wrong to observe the sabbath they think you have to observe the sabbath or you're going to get punished he says i know i don't it's not the same But I'm not going to flaunt it in front of their face, my freedoms. I'm going to, while I'm with them, I'm going to do anything I can to to point to the gospel so that I'm not a stumbling block for them. So then a parallel idea to those under the law are those that are outside the law. So those outside the law, he says, I became as one outside the law. So the Gentiles are like, what Sabbath? What pork? What are you talking about? That doesn't bother them at all. So Paul, he didn't act like under the law with the Gentiles. So they're eating pork sandwiches. He's like, great, I'll have a pork sandwich. That's great. Let's talk about Christ. Right? Because he knows pork doesn't make you a Christian or abstaining from pork doesn't make you a Christian like those under the law thought. So he says, when I'm with them, I make myself as under them. Now he put another qualifier. What was the qualifier? Just to be clear, I'm not saying Gentiles, I live like the Gentiles. Hey, let's have this wine. Let's go party. Because that's what they do. He says, I'm not saying I operated as lawless. I didn't act like a Gentile, but I didn't observe the Jewish customs when I was with those who are not observing the Jewish customs. That's what he's saying. So he wanted to be very clear. I'm under the law of Christ, actually. I'm with Gentile or Jew. I actually have a higher master. I don't care what you guys are doing. I'm answering to him. So you can drink drink wine, you can eat pork, you do everything, but I'm going to follow him. And if he wants me to, I'm going to do it. So I'm not looking at you guys to set my rules. I'm looking at, I'm under the law of Christ, Paul says. And I'm, and I'm able to, I'm free to do any of it. But I'm not going to take any of the rights that I typically have, and, and most people would have, in order to do the gospel. So here's another parallel to the Jews and then the weak. There's a lot of debate about what this means, weak. A lot of times we think this means weak Christians. Their conscience is sensitive to things. So this is applicable because, uh, you know, in uh, Corinthians, the chapter right before, he's talking about food offered to idols and the weak brother, right? So many people think that's what he's talking about. It could also potentially mean like frail or poor or uh, helpless. So I think both apply because in either case, he is trying to be helpful to them, not offend them so that he can win them spiritually and he can... He can encourage them whether it means a brother with a weak conscience so if i'm with a brother it it certainly applies when he talks about food offered to idols in chapter eight right he says if my brother thinks it's wrong to eat food i offered to a wooden statue because he thinks somehow it makes it evil i'm not going to flaunt it and say what are you talking about and just take a bite in front of him he says i'm not going to eat it either even though i know it's nothing i'm not going to do that for my weak brother because i'm going to try to win them so it's interesting. This is the one time where it says, I became weak. It doesn't say, I became as weak. He says, I became weak. Isn't that interesting? 
So that, that's why some people think he's talking about weak meaning meaning that it's worthless to the world's eyes. A weak, frail, powerless. Paul says, I gave up my power. I gave up my authority. And what does the gospel say? You see how not many noble, not many mighty among you have been saved, right? But God has chosen the what things of the world? The weak things of the world to confound the mighty. So when Paul goes into a crowd or into a new town and he sees all the rich people over here and they're all having a good old time and he's like, oh, I know those guys from the days in Jerusalem. Maybe I, and then he looks over here and there's these beggars along the wall. Paul, Paul does what? He says, these guys are probably the ones that need the gospel most, <laughs> right? So I'm going to be, I'm going to become weak. I'm going to spend the night on the street with these guys instead of, I know I got a cousin over here that I could stay in his palace. But I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Why? I could do that. I have every right to do that. It's actually safer. But I'm going to do this for the gospel's sake. Because I became weak that I might win the week. I'll bet that's what Paul did. That's not what I do. I'll confess right now. My tendency is like, ooh, oh, ah, they might have COVID, right? Dirty. What do you do for the gospel's sake? We ought to be living by the gospel. And then another parallel idea. Again, this is the Jewish kind of form of poetry. So the, again, all, he goes back to the idea of all. All things to all people so that by all means, by any means possible, I might win and save. You might think the word is What do you think the word should be? <laughs> all, right? He says, I do all things to all people that by all means I should save everyone. But Paul knows that's not what happens. It's not up to him to save. It's some. So we go from all, all, I'm free from all, servant of all, all things to all people. By all means I might save some. He knows it's not up to him. He can't make somebody be saved. He's going to do everything he can to save them more, but he knows it's up to God. So let me be a servant and be used of him. When Jesus came, did he save all? No. He preached. Did they, everyone follow him? No. Right? He did it perfectly. He lived a perfect life. So we shouldn't expect anything less, but we should give all. We should be willing to do all for the gospel. What was, besides Paul, what was the What's another example? The most effective message is preached by the messenger who lives out the message. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I could give the message of the gospel and receive offerings. I could do that. But you know what is more effective is when I live out the character of the message. Right? So besides Paul, who else gave up their freedom to be like and preach reconciliation, be like the people he was sent to be. Yeah, I heard you say it. Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think you're, Paul, Paul was not that far away from the worst of the Gentiles. But how far did Jesus Christ have to come to be a human infinitely he left infinitely higher better king of the world creator of the universe 
He left all of the rights, all of the freedoms, all of the comforts, all of the joy, all of the fellowship, everything he deserved rightfully. He left it all to come down to live among us and to walk among us. That is the gospel. That's the character of the gospel. That is Christ. That is Christ among us. It's the word living among us. And what kind of house did he live in while he was here? What kind of palace? What kind of honor? What kind of things did he deserve? Even in his death, he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him. And he didn't. He didn't do what he could have and should have, and everyone would have not blamed him to do. He didn't take any of it. Why? Because that is who God is. That's gospel. He lived the character of the gospel. So the gospel is not a story. Yes, it's a story. But there is a character to the gospel. It is a, it is a life that God lived. Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.21, shares this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake... He became, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was righteous. He came and took our sin so that we could have his freedoms. All the comforts that he had, he gave up, took everything of ours so that we could have his. That's what Paul is saying. Right? Right? This is the character of the gospel. That's what we mean. That is the gospel. It's not just a story, hey, you need Jesus Christ. Yes, we do need Jesus Christ. And that's a story. We can tell the story. We can tell it from our comfortable positions. We can send that out. We can do that. We can tell people from our Lexuses and and all of those things. Nothing wrong with Lexuses, again. But the character of the gospel is doing what you don't have to do to win people that don't deserve it. What is the character of the gospel? Let's look at a couple passages real here. I th- and Philippians chapter 2. For sake of time, we won't read the whole chapter. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, <clears throat> If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, complete my joy. In humility, count others, verse 3. Do, uh, do, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you, let each of you look not on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Is that not an inversion of the world's way of looking at it? I don't look, I don't care about you, I'm caring about myself. Right? But the gospel says, don't look on yourself, look at what you can do to build others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was the form of God, he was God, he did not count equality with God something that he had to grasp onto, but he gave it up. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, not just a king. He came as a servant and was born in the likeness of man. And being found as a man, he humbled himself, even as a man, and became obedient unto the point of death. He wasn't even an honorable man. He was crucified as a man, as a criminal man, right? Therefore, what has God done? The great inversion. Everybody looked at Jesus as going down, 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 down. And God says, therefore, because of that, because he understood the character of the gospel, God has highly exalted him above every name. And the flip happens one day. 
<laughs> in Christ. And every knee will bow to and it will come full circle to what he was and he came because he understood the gospel. What a, what a glorious day that we need to. He was not forced to do it. He was freely given. So I'm not here to force you and to guilt trip you into it. If that's the way you <laughs> want to share the gospel, that's not the gospel. So, so what we should be doing is saying, man, how can I do more? How can I freely give things that I don't have to? So it's inversion upside down of all earthly values, the way the world lives, the way the Gentiles live, right? Because they don't know. Psalm 66, 1. How does this relate to our passage here? So this is our theme. So go back to Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. How great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. That's, we bless the Lord and we praise his name. We make his name great. If God's name isn't great and he didn't do work on us, why would you do anything different than anybody else? But when you do something opposite of what the world says, they're like, what is up with you, Paul? And he says, God's name is way greater. I'm doing this for his name's sake. I'm doing it for the gospel. That's how we shout to the Lord. That's how we tell the world, hey, make his name great, is we do something different than every other person in the world because we have something better. And they're like, how could you give up that money? How could you give up all those things, those comforts? He said, because God's name is greater than that, greater than your money, greater than the privileges that we have here. Final thought here, Matthew 25. Flip there real quick, Matthew 25. This is, this is a sobering reality. So Jesus says, Matthew chapter 25. He's sharing about the last day. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. His name will be glorified then. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate all the people. And we know this is the sheep and the goats, right, in the passage. And He says, look what He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Do you have to do any of those things? <laughs> do you have to go to prison and visit people? You see somebody sick, do you have to go over there? No. You see someone naked, do you have to clothe them? Is that required? If it was, it wouldn't be any glory. You wouldn't make God's name great because you had to do it, right? But the fact that you don't have to do it, that's how you make his name. That, you're showing the care for the gospel because you didn't have to do it. It's compassionate healing. I'm looking around and say, yeah, I don't have to go to the prison ministry. There's no obligation on my part. That's what makes it the gospel is the fact that you don't have to do it. So ask God, what are those things? So application. I know I'm going long here, so stay with me. Sorry. My clicker. There we go. So application logic. So let's, this is... Um, 
I just taught a course on creative Bible teaching last week, so I'm putting into practice the things that I told everybody else to do, which was to make application. So there's a premise. What is the premise? I'm going to draw from that premise an implication for all of us. What, is the, what does the Bible imply? What is a general application? And then I have some specific decision for us to act, okay, from this passage. First of all, what's the premise? The premise that I think this passage says is that Paul did not use his freedoms that he could have used. That's what I read in the scripture. In order to win as many people to the gospel as possible. He said, actually, if I use the freedoms that I have all the right to do, I may not win as many. And I want to make his name great. As great as possible. So, so what does that imply for us? Does that mean we shouldn't do any freedoms? I'll let God help you. Our freedoms as Christians are opportunities to show the character of the gospel. Everything that you have full right to do, you've been offended, you have full right to be mad, you have full right to make them pay. But it's an opportunity to show the character of the gospel. Every time you have a freedom, every time you have something that you could do and you don't, that's, you're showing the character of the gospel. That's an opportunity. I think that's what it means. So what is, what's an application for us? What are some adaptations that you can do could you make that are not offensive to God? Paul was very clear. I'm not becoming like, hey, let's just go party with the world so that we can win them. That's not what he's talking about. We're under the law of Christ, but would be strategically important for sharing the gospel. Are there people that you could associate with that are not comfortable? You don't have to, but you're strategically doing it to share the gospel. I'm going to go get to know that scuzzy looking guy that lives across the way that I have nothing in common. He has a Biden flag out. He's got a rainbow flag on the front of his porch. And I'm like, right? I'm going to go get to know him because I don't have to do that. And it's well within my rights to blame him for ruining my country. But I'm going to go get to know him strategically for the gospel. That you're, you're doing it for the character of the gospel. Now, he may reject you. doesn't matter. You leave that to God. You're not winning all. It's you by, by some means, you might win some. And I'm doing it for him. So this is what I'm asking you to do. So what could you do this week? What will you commit to make sacrifice or offering? I think of it as an offering to God this week. Think of your home. Start in your home first. Don't think about going across the world. Think about it in your home It's good practice with your wife, with your kids, with your brother, with your sister. What can I do that I don't have to do, but I'm going to do it for God and me and the Lord are the only two people that know what I did. And I'm going to do it for the Lord. My my brother's underpants are on the floor again in the bathroom. That's annoying. That's disgusting. But I'm going to pick them up maybe with gloves, and put them in the, in the laundry. Start there, right? Your brother didn't make his lunch. You don't have to make his lunch, but you make your lunch for your brother because I want to practice the gospel. I want to practice the character of the gospel. I need it. I buffet my body down. But what's at stake, and this is the scary part for me to think about. In God's economy, the messenger matters, not just the message And that's why Paul ends this. He disciplines his body as an athlete lest he is disqualified. A castaway. 
That's what he says at the end of this chapter. He says, that's why I do this. is because I am so worried that if I'm going to be preaching the gospel, that lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You're like, Paul, what are you talking about? Disqualified. He says, how do I really know that the gospel has gripped me if I don't use the gospel? I can stand up and preach the message, and that's what Matthew 25 says. He says, when did we not do this to you, Lord? He says, when you didn't do it to the sick and the poor. Right? Matthew 25, that's the passage that we just said. He says, depart from me. The messenger living out the character of the gospel. That's what we need to do. I'm not trying to scare you. But if the gospel really took root in your heart, it should do something. It should make, we should do things that we don't have to do. Otherwise, we're just like the world. We're no different, according to the gospel. In Matthew 7, the gospel deeds, this is Matthew chapter 7, for sake of time we won't read it, but he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. Right? He says, but Lord, we, we, did, we cast out demons in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So gospel deeds is not the same thing as having a conversion. You can stand up, and because you grew up in church, you can preach a pretty good sermon, right? You can share the gospel, and people might even get saved. God might even use you. But that's not the same thing as conversion yourself, <laughs> because conversion yourself will happen, and it will change you on the inside, and it will do it. So how do we know that? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, let me do what you have called me to do. Let me live out the gospel character. In that, So that's, that's our message. So the character of the gospel in displaying the messenger. We're all messengers. And it's not about our words that really make a difference. It's the character in the life of us. Do we live the character of the gospel, which is to freely give things that you don't have to give in order that someone might be one to reconciliation with God. That's our ministry of reconciliation that we get. So well, I hope you uh, were encouraged. I was encouraged reading this. I was like, wow, this is so much to think about. There's a lot to think about in here. And I'm so, I'm, I mean, you're reading it, you're like, I am so far behind from what I should be. I am so spoiled. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. I am offended and I am so bothered and it ruins my whole day. I don't look for opportunities to give up my rights. I look, you know, I'm offended if somebody ever crosses in my lane a little bit, right? That's, we can't live that way and let's ask God to give us mindful. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the gospel. Thank you for coming and living this way in our life. Uh, you lived on this earth. And you lived among us and you shared not just the message of the gospel, but you lived out the message of giving up everything for our redemption. So we ask that you would give us wisdom as we sit here and think about what are the little ways we, that we can start doing to model in our own lives the character of the gospel, which is to freely give, to not take our rights. So, Lord, you've given us your message. You've given us your word. It's powerful. Pray that we would apply it to our lives today. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.